Creative Sandbox Way Podcast, Episode 192. Hello, I am Melissa Dinwiddie, and I believe that life is too short not to express the innate creativity inside of you. So I wrote a book called The Creative Sandbox Way, based around 10 guideposts that I developed to get myself out of creative stuck and back to the sense of playful creativity that I naturally had when I was a four-year-old. That book was just the tip of the iceberg. I continue the conversation with this podcast. Let's jump in. My guest this week, Nicole Lewis Kiever, is someone I know from an online community I'm part of, the What Works Network, formerly known as Co Commercial, which you will hear me reference in the conversation. I invited Nicole to be on the show because she's passionate, as I am, about helping people deal with self-doubt, you know, those those gremlins that tell you you're not good enough and that you suck and, you know, all those nasty things that those, those gremlins of self-doubt say. But Nicole's specialty really revolves around business and specifically people's relationships with their businesses. And yes, we do have a relationship with our businesses, those of us who have businesses. But whether or not you have a business, listen to this conversation because you will probably find something that's relevant to you. What Nicole specifically deals with is how your past baggage and traumas, or specifically small t traumas, what what Nicole refers to as small t traumas, how they impact what is happening now in your life and your business. And we dive in right up top. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Nicole Lewis Keeper. Nicole Lewis Keeper holds a master's degree in social work and is a licensed clinical social worker. She's combined her experience as a therapist and mindset coach to assist entrepreneurs in revealing the blocks and blind spots in their business that have origins from their past experiences. Nicole's articles about the impact of small T trauma on entrepreneurship can be found on Medium and in her blog. And we will talk about small T trauma. And I know Nicole from Co-Commercial, which is an uh, an online community for business owners that we both belong to. And Nicole, I'm so delighted to have you here. Thanks for joining me on the podcast. I'm so thrilled you asked me. I love talking to you. Yay. I'm so happy. And you know, the reason that I wanted to have you here is because I know that one of your specialties is talking about self-doubt and gremlins. And that's one of my passion areas as well, because, you know, we, we teach what we need to learn, right? (laughs) And that's something that held me back for so many years in my life. And it's something that I still on a daily basis, I still, you know, dance with the gremlins. And so that's why I'm so passionate about 
teaching this stuff and talking about it and airing it. So let's go there. Like what, how, how did you get into this, this stuff as a mindset coach and, and talking about, about small T trauma and helping people with this stuff? So it was kind of a natural progression, you know, as a therapist for 18 years. And so um, I have a lot of experience in sitting with people around their challenges, you know, and I left the therapy world to be a coach because I really wanted to work with people in a different atmosphere and, and with different quote unquote problems or challenges that they were having. And so I ended up actually being a, my, a money mindset coach for a little while. And I got certified to be a tapping into wealth coach with Margaret Lynch, got my little certification. And I was doing money mindset coaching with entrepreneurs and small business owners and some, uh, you know, people with careers. They weren't all small business. And what I began to see through my clinician's eye, I couldn't help myself, was that we weren't talking about money and that it wasn't as simple as mindset, that we were actually talking about those inner voices, those past experiences that were showing up for these people in their money, mm-hmm. and that the money was a symptom and that you actually can have money trauma and that there are situations that we've experienced in our past that set up shop in our lives now um, in our money, our business, our relationships, whatever that may be. And so I began to see how this was impacting the structure of a small business and how, or solopreneur or whomever it was unbeknownst to them. So it just kind of unveiled itself. And I quickly went from being a money mindset coach to what my, my clients now call me a business therapist. So tell me about what this looks like, like that, that like, what does that mean? It's, 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 I, I, I've talked to you about this mm-hmm. before and I've heard you talk about this before. So I have an understanding, but for somebody who's hearing this for the first mm-hmm. time, this all sounds very abstract. So can you give some examples? about the small T trauma or how it shows up, how, how it shows up in a bit in somebody's business. Like what, what is that? What does that look yeah. like? Well, you know, we're talking about those gremlins, right? So I don't know about you, but I was taught to shut it down, shut it up, kill it, strangle it, whatever that inner critic voice that, you know, message that's rumbling in our ear all the time. And what I learned over time is that actually that voice has a purpose and a reason here. And the more we try and shut it up, the more we bump up against it and it creates blocks and blind spots for us in our life, including our business. And so what that might look like for someone is if they're struggling with um, symptoms of like procrastination, you know, maybe they are struggling with their money in their business because they're struggling to put a price tag on something that they really believe in that doubt um, perhaps they're they're hiring employees but won't let them do their job because they're always trying to step in. So there's these kind of blind spots that come up in, in their their business that people try and put business solutions on top of and they don't get relief because it's an, an emotional issue. Like for instance, if someone's struggling with their calendar or procrastination or being too busy, someone's going to come in and give them some time management skills or get a planner, get a new calendar. Here, here's this app. And it doesn't fix the problem because it is a underlying emotional issue around boundaries and barriers as opposed to actually time. Mm -hmm. So So it shows up as these normal everyday, you know, business challenges, but they don't get relief from the obvious solution. That makes sense. It makes total sense. So somebody might be 
from the outside, it might look like, oh my God, this person just needs a new calendar. They just need some time management help. But really what's going on is there's some deep core issue that has nothing to do with time management. Mm -hmm. It has to do with, I don't know, fear of, I don't know, like how, I don't know. Can you give, can you give like an anonymous person as an example of some, like a specific issue that Oh yeah. <laughs> so, so the other day someone asked me, they said, so I guess all the people that you work with are really struggling to make money. And I was like, no, no, not really. Actually, they're very successful people. They're, they're very driven people. They make a lot of money and yet they're very miserable most of the time because they're either doing everything themselves because they don't have trust for their employees. So success, you know, having these challenges doesn't mean that you're not successful. It just means your level of ease and your level of mastery and ownership of what's happening to you in your business that you created. And so an example of that would be someone that I know has a business that they have brought to a very, like let's say multiple six figure business. Okay. Because everybody's always thinking about that six figure business, but they did it solely by themselves. They did everything themselves. Every hat worked themselves silly. You can't leverage your business at that point. They wanted to grow it even more. And so even this person had to admit that they needed help. Okay. Mm -hmm. So what do they do? They hire their first employee and they spent all their time trying to take things away from that employee (laughs) rather than letting them help them because they had an underlying issue with trust. And so while they hired this employee, because it was the right thing to do, they could not, they could barely delegate tasks, much less trust this employee. And relying on someone is the behavior of trust, right? And so they could not rely on them, much less delegate. And so we really had to talk about that and get underneath, like, what is the trust issue here? Because you can hire another employee and then another employee, but if you cannot trust or rely, you're going to find yourself in the same situation and you're going to have three people under your payroll. So that's an example of how this can show up. Oh, wow. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Well, and and of course, the people that you're working with, because you you have a premium service, so the people that you're working with aren't going to be the people who are struggling to bring money in. So they're going to have different kinds of issues, mm-hmm. but then there are, there are people out there who that is their issue, that their issue is they have a problem, say, putting value on their work. Mm-hmm. Yes, that, that's, a, that's a pretty common problem, particularly at the beginning of the journey. You know, money mindset coaching is there for a reason. Most of us have been taught, you know, by society, family, our culture about our belief system around money and what we're allowed to do with it, what we're not allowed to do with it. Um, Assumption about someone who has something and someone who doesn't. We judge money everywhere. We judge people who have it. We judge people who don't have it. You know, we have these defined ideas about what it is. And so that really can be a challenge Um, at the beginning of someone's journey to really figure out, you know, what is going on here? How is my, my, our inner worth impacts our outer wealth? It really does. And so trying to figure out why is this so hard for me? You know, what are the assumptions I'm making around this? And so that's kind of an early out thing too, but it's still, it has to do with some of that 
that language, that voice saying, you can't charge that. No one's going to pay that. Um, or who do you think you are to do this thing? Or that's not who we are as a family. That's not what we do. Right. There are all challenges when it comes to those little gremlins in your head. You know, what you said made me realize how much we negatively judge people who have money and people who don't have money. Mm-hmm. There are negative judgments in both directions. The assumptions are made, oh, people who, you know, if you look in the Bible, right? What is it? The It's easier to something, something and fat man in the eye of a needle or whatever. There's something about the a rich, a rich man. You can't put a rich man through the eye of a needle or I don't know, something, something in the Bible <laughs> about that says like rich people are bad. Right. Right. That's the upshot. I don't know the phrase. <laughs> I heard store your riches here in heaven and not on earth. <laughs> yeah. Like clearly I don't know the Bible, but the, the upshot is that there's, there's a lot of messages about being rich makes you bad. And then there's also a lot of messages about, well, people are poor because they're bad, right? So you, you know, damned if you do and damned if you don't. Mm-hmm. So you're kind of screwed. That really messes with your head. It does. It does. Like, where do you land on that continuum? Like right here? <laughs> you're like, there's, there's no place to place land. In the and, you know, throw being a woman on top of that. Forget oh, it. yeah. Talk <laughs> about intersectional, you know? Right. <laughs> Yeah. Smaller, which you're allowed to have and do. <laughs> That's something I've really been having to work out, uh, work on a lot lately as I build my consultancy, because in a consultancy, you know, I'm, I'm working with corporate clients and, you know, price tells a story about your value. And if I go out there and sell myself, pitch myself as, you know, a, a full day workshop at, you know, name a price, whatever it is, it tells a story. So if I say that I'm doing a full day workshop for $300, then I'm not going to be perceived as being very valuable, right? Whereas if I say that my day day rate is $7,500, that has a very different perceived value. Mm-hmm. It's been very, very interesting having to really having to dance with that and figure out where I'm going to put myself on that line. Yeah, I I agree. This is one of the most common conversations I have with my clients is about rate shame. Rate shame. Yeah. Yeah. They'll say, I feel like I'm not charging enough. And then I'm being judged for that. So I feel shamed for my rates because they're too low or they'll feel like they're shamed because their rates are too high. So someone's always telling them you charge too much. You don't charge enough. And it's a really hard spot to be in. And that's why I'm like, you really do have to rumble with that number, you know? And I don't know if you're like me, I don't want to just throw a number out there just because it sounds good. That doesn't feel right to me. It needs to make sense to the, to the future of my business and my company fit into what the idea maybe of like the market is. There's so many variables that go into that. And so, and when someone's forced just to throw a number out there, that's higher than maybe they're used to just because they think they should do that. They're going to disconnect from that yeah. number and it's going to cause 
a spiral. So I think our rates and our numbers and what it means, it, it really does bring up a lot around that. And we have to feel really good and solid with that number so that we feel there's ease in saying it out loud and to know that there's always going to be someone that thinks you should charge more and always someone's going to think you should charge less. Yeah, absolutely. And you're right. I, I think there has to be a sense of alignment. Mm-hmm. And, and I also, when I was, when I was a, a full-time artist, when that was really, you know, how I made my living from selling my art and taking commissions from people who wanted to buy art from me, I, I learned early on that a really good gauge for when I was charging too little was if I was feeling resentful. Mm-hmm. <laughs> very, very good gauge. Now that's only, that only showed me that I was charging too little. That didn't tell me, you know, that I was charging enough if I stopped feeling resentful, but it did at least show me the, you know, the lower end. Right. Mm-hmm. And I kept raising my rates to, in order to avoid that resentment place. Mm-hmm. And it kept raising my rates and raising my rates and raising my rates. I noticed that for me, if I didn't feel a little bit uncomfortable, like, oh gosh, I think this might be too expensive, that I was probably not charging enough. For that, for me, that was for me. That's not to say that's true for everybody, but that was for me at that time in that particular job as an artist. And I think... I don't know, you know, as a as a woman who has a had and probably still does had a tendency to devalue my work because of patriarchy, because of sexism, and as an artist because of anti-artist oppression and all of that, intersectionality folks layered in, on top of each other. Those were those were some things that I learned about myself. Mhm. Yes. And and people minimize it and they just say, well, just charge what you need to charge what you're worth. Well, what does that mean? What does that mean? It means nothing. It drives me nuts. I'm like, no, you need to charge a rate that is congruent with the vision for your particular vision of your business. <laughs> it's not so, you know, and it feels, that's where that mindset feels like a weapon. You like mindset as a weapon. Well, you just need to do this. Well, you just need to flip a switch. Well, you just change, need to change your mindset. There is a process that happens here. And we need to honor the process that people go through. And, and it's it's one of those things about the arena of mindset that really bugs me. So that's such a great way for you to put your, like, I'm feeling resentful. So it means I need to change something and yeah. I need to keep changing it. And then I need to keep changing it until I feel like, okay, I'm not feeling resentful. I'm feeling a little uncomfortable now. Where am I at? And that is such an important process to go through. And people do that with their business too. They're feeling resentful against their business because they don't realize their ownership there. I always say we enter into a relationship when we start a business. And if we don't set an intention to have that relationship, we will default into old patterns that don't serve us. This is something that I love about the work that you are doing is that you helped me see my my relationship with my business in a different way. You talk about your relationship with business in a way that I've never heard anybody talk about it before, having a healthy relationship with your business. And, and you talk about having an emotional sustainability plan Mm -hmm. for your business. Let's talk about that. 
So an emotional sustainability plan, um, it looks a little bit different for each person, but what these are the things that takes account into account. If you already have a business, we assess where are you at in relationship to your business? Are you feeling supported and, you know, kind of pushed in a good way by it? Or are you feeling completely overwhelmed, beat up and battered by it? So, and I, unfortunately, I hate to say that the latter is where most people are because they don't realize that this is a relationship that needs to be nurtured and boundaries put around. And so, again, they default into old patterns of behavior. And so people will say to me, oh, my God, my business is my, you know, my demanding father or it's my ex-husband. I hate him. <laughs> or last time I gave this talk, someone said it's a tantruming two-year-old who wants all the attention all the time. So we set up that relationship by default if we don't set that intention. So what we do is we determine where are you in your relationship. Then we determine where you want to go. What kind of relationship do you want to have? What kind of characteristics do you want your business to have in support of you? What would that look like? And I'm like you, Melissa, I'm kind of whimsical. I have them create an entity for their business. You know, like it's a person, it's an animal, it's whatever, an energy. So that they have something to relate to. And to say, that's what I'm working with. That's who has my back. We're doing really cool work in the world because it helps keep them on track. And it all sounds very fun and whimsical, but it's so true because it gives you a way to relate and create the relationship that you want with your business. We look at past patterns of those small T traumas to see what shows up for you. How do you get triggered in your life and how does that then play over in your business? trust issues. People get challenged around that, um, challenged around boundaries, uh, unpredictability. Those things that were triggering for us in our personal lives or as kids, you know, by our experiences, they come forward with us into our business. We don't drop our baggage at the door when we start a business. That stuff comes with us. So we need to look at it and honor it and say, gosh, I see you. I see what you're doing here and we're going to change this. So that's also part of that emotional sustainability plan. If you need, if, if you're someone who needs stability and certainty, it's fine. You don't have to change that. You build your business around that need and build your programs to give you monthly payments that you can, you know, you can predict and that there's no surprises and it's okay to need those things and we build them into your business. That's what an emotional sustainability plan is so that you can have this business financial freedom and this amazing work you're doing and feel supported by it at the same time instead of terrorized by it. One of my clients said, I feel like my business is terrorizing me every day. And I said, because it is. (laughs) (laughs) You know what I love about this? I I love about the I love this so much because it is it's such a paradigm shift for me to to think about, oh my God, my I get to be intentional and like choose a relationship with my business. You mean that I mean, it's just like, my, it's so mind blowing because I, I think about the business that I had before my current business, which was my, my art business, my ketuba business, my business as a calligrapher and an artist, a, a ketuba is a Jewish marriage contract. And for about 15 years, that was, that was my primary business. Mm. I also taught calligraphy and, you know, there were all sorts of like offshoots of that, but that was really my primary business. I was sort of terrorized by it. and. 
I, I, it's interesting to think about like, how would I characterize that relationship? I, I, I don't even know who, like who that, if I were to personify it, who it would be, but it, it was very terrorizing and kind of, you know, very demanding and not kind, <laughs> did not take care of me. It was all me taking care of it, you know, and that, you know, it's such a flip of the script to think of the bit. I mean, the, the point of the business is to earn money to support me. Right. But no, that was not how I, that was not the script that I was running. The script that I was running was that it was all me doing everything, like ble- bleeding myself dry to support the business and, you know, burning the candle at both ends and all of that to support this business. I mean, it was completely insane and, it, you know, it did not nourish me. It did not <laughs> nurture me. Not sustainable. <laughs> it was not sustainable and it completely burned me out. And I mean, it, and, and I, I, at this point, it's like, not that I would go back and change anything because it got me to where I am now, you know, but, but I would not repeat it. <laughs> oh, I know. I mean, it, you know, and honestly, I always tell people, why did you leave this terrible job just to recreate a mean boss in your business? You, oh. you get to decide what your business looks like. It is yours. We lose ownership of our business so quickly. It is yours. You get to decide who, how, when you get to do this. You get to have ownership over this. You get to direct the ship or, you know, direct the play or whatever. It is yours. And we forget so quickly that this is ours. Oh my God. And I, I didn't even know. I was so, I had such blinders on. I didn't even know that I had any other options really then. I mean, I was so limited in my thinking. I thought, all I want is to make just enough to get by because I didn't, you know, I was so blinded by sexism and by my limited thinking of what I was capable of because of sexism and because of whatever, that's all I was trying to, that's all I thought I was capable of. So that's all I thought, that's all I thought to, you know, to aim for was I just want to make enough to get by. So guess what I generated just enough to get by. Exactly, exactly. And the more that I worked with people around this, and the more I, it happened to me too, that, you know, this is something I, this was a moment of clarity at five o'clock in the morning that I had around my own business at two years. Cause I worked for someone else, you know, my whole career pretty much. I had a small private practice, but what did I have to do other than just get referrals from insurance companies and sit down on a chair across from someone to help them? I didn't have to run a business around that really. And at two years into my own business, I was up at the mor- in the morning, it was five o'clock. I felt like a failure and I had barely hit the, f- my feet had barely hit the floor. And I was reading Big Magic by Elizabeth Gilbert. And there was something in there that just hit me like a ton of bricks that I love my business, but my business does not love me. Mm-hmm. And if I'm not feeling loved and supported by it, why is that so? It is so because I created it to be that way. Mm-hmm. So why would I create it to be this way? Okay. Because of the, you know, the experiences I've had in my past where I was um, in a relationships where people where I was, I'd had no power. And so I recreated that relationship and that pattern in my business. I was like, oh my goodness. And so that's really where all this work just kind of came from was that moment of clarity and that my eyes opened up to how I was victimizing myself in my business. 
and how my clients were doing the same thing. And that's where this, this role towards multi-trauma really came up too, studying that as well. And, um, you know, another part of the emotional sustainability plan that I work with is around helping people connect with their inner kiddos because those inner kiddos are on your board of directors running your business without your knowledge and cooperation. And so we have to get them on board either to release them from the responsibility they think they have or partner with them in their strengths. And that's where that resilience really comes from, from entrepreneurs. I mean, everyone I know who is an entrepreneur has been through some stuff and it created a really high level of resilience for them and a high factor of ownership and independence um, which makes that trust stuff kind of hard. So it's again, it's that it's that light side of things and the shadow. Like there's both, and we have to be able to pick them up and, and look at both of them and say, "Is this serving me right now? Is this serving me right now? Which one am I going with right here?" So, okay. So I want to ask you more about that. I want to ask you about the small t trauma, mm-hmm. and I want to ask you about. Tell me more about this. Your, I love I love the term inner kiddo. That just totally delights me. Tell me more about what that means to have your inner kiddos on your board of directors. Right. And that's the talk I gave this last week. Okay. So small T trauma, let me just back up and give a description of what that is. So when, and and I, this is where I am calling out trauma, where people want to call it overwhelm. They want to call it stress or they want to call it all these other things because they're prettier. And I'm there on the front line saying, nope, <laughs> this is trauma. And we as uh, women, you know, statistically, this is part of our, our life. This is part of how we are, um, our experience. It is part of what we bring into our business. Um, and so I'm really kind of banging that drum right now, making people call a thing a thing. It's very important to me. So we've been conditioned to think about trauma in those big T trauma things like, you know, assault or Um, a horrific accident or post-traumatic stress. And those are trauma. But most of us have what I call small T trauma, which are those cumulative experiences that we have as a child that takes us off course from who we are. It starts to make us feel different about who we are. It erodes our confidence. It changes, um, it changes our biochemistry too. You know, when we've had those cumulative effects of either being bullied um, not taken care of very well. You know, uh, I had a learning disability in school. So 18 years of my life I spent going, I have no idea what's going on. <laughs> yeah, those are, those are cumulative effects that change who we are and how we see ourselves. And so those effects, they, it's like they created an inner kiddo. So maybe something happened when you were four or seven or 12 or 16. What happens is they kind of get frozen in time. It's like it time stamps. And they stay with us. They are the voice in our head. That inner critic, that, you know, the gremlins that are there to protect us. I always say they're protecting those kiddos. And what happens is those children, those childlike voices start to show up in our business saying, that doesn't feel safe. I don't want to do that. And all we see is, I don't want to go networking today because I hate all these people. When really it is, (laughs) I don't feel safe to do this. Can we not do this today? And so that's what I mean is that those cumulative experiences that we have that are small T traumas, and it looks different for everyone. And let's not go into systemic trauma. You know, there's, there's so much around that too. 
But what I'm talking about is like, maybe you got bullied, maybe you had a single mom and she was never home and you felt alone. Um, all these experiences change how we see ourselves in the world and our mastery of who we are and our confidence. And that shows up in our business. And it shows up as these little kiddos who are sitting on our inner board of directors directing our business saying, we can't do that. We can't charge that. That doesn't feel safe. I don't like that person's face. Don't talk to them. This is stupid. They, they pull us off course and we don't know they're there. That makes sense. It makes sense. It's because those voices sound to us like the voice of truth, the voice of wisdom and the voice of reason. Yes. That are those, those gremlins, those inner kiddos, disguises. Mm -hmm. And when we know they're there, we can attend to them and we can also find the gift with them. So, you know, for example, this this is a really quick story. I was going to, and this is when I learned all this stuff too. I was going to a networking group. I hate networking. Um, And I was such a bad mood and I got there. And of course I thought the speaker was stupid. I wouldn't talk to anybody at my table. I don't even remember what was talked about. It was just, I was such a foul mood. It's one of those days where you're just like, I can't stand myself, you know, like I don't know why anybody want to talk to me. And so I'm driving home and I just like, gosh, this was a complete waste of the day because I didn't allow myself to be present. Why didn't I do that? And I felt like there was someone else in the car with me and it just was pulling on me. And I finally pulled over and I said, what? Like, I just literally said, what? And I kid you not, I heard this voice and I, you know, not having a hallucination here. They are here. And she said, this feels like the first day of school in the cafeteria and we don't know where to go. And I'm like, (laughs) (laughs) so in that moment, I said, I get it. I hear you. And that's terrible. I'm so sorry. No wonder you are so resistant. And so once we're able to say, I hear you, what do you need? As opposed to shut up, sit down, be quiet, let me strangle you, kill your inner, you know, once we can do that, they have a message for us and then they can show us whether they want to be there. Because if my four-year-old does not want to do anything for my business, just let me tell you, she needs to be gone. Go play. My 10-year-old's very curious. My 16-year-old is that one that thinks everything's stupid. She's really sassy. But she, in her light, when I when I give her uh, allowance to, to show up with her gift as opposed to her snarkiness, she's the one that keeps me boundaryed. She's the one that says, no, Nicole, call a thing a thing. Don't let them call it distress and overwhelm. She has a gift. And now I know that and I let her show up that way. And so when we can kind of identify who our kiddos are, what voice they have, how they're showing up in fear, find the the gift with them and then partner with them. Everything changes. Everything changes. Yes. Oh my God. You know, Nicole, when you told that story, it gave me chills, first of all. And yes, this is so in alignment with everything that I preach about gremlins Because like you said, like people want to kill them. They want to kill their gremlins. They want to strangle them. They want to stomp them, all all of that. And it doesn't work. It doesn't work because you're not going to get rid of your gremlins. Mm -hmm. It's there for a reason. It's primal survival. That's stupid. Don't do that. Oh yeah, you're right. That was a cliff. You know, like it's there for a reason. (laughs) Right. They're trying to protect us. They're a product of evolution. They're just going about it in this way that's really not always so helpful and can be very, very confusing 
because it sounds like this voice of truth and voice of reason and voice of wisdom, which it isn't always right. Mm-hmm. So getting yeah. curious is the way to, mm-hmm. to figure out what's actually happening. Yes. So when we are wanting to do something that we know will benefit our business and feels good and we can't get there or we're in resistance resistance or we are sabotaging ourselves usually there's some kiddos saying this doesn't feel safe why are we doing this and if you could just pause and just say I hear you what do you need yeah most of the time they'll tell you and in that moment when we can connect and build that trust it can make all the difference and and you know I have people I've worked with who are very scientific in nature and they're like this is woo-woo stuff and I said okay so let's look at it from this standpoint neuropathways are built. New neuropathways need to be built by experiences. So that four-year-old, when something happened at four, timestamp, it changed your neurochemistry. Okay. It created a new pathway. And so it's constantly pivoting. So if you want to look at it from that standpoint, I am not a scientist, but I know that that's kind of how it works. There are so many ways to explain this and how it works. And my experience is that I have children in my head who talk to me. And so do my clients, even the scientific ones who are very analytical and logical. <laughs> so they just didn't listen. <laughs> so it works. Well, and what I love this is that whether or not you're a business owner, the same principles apply. If you, you know, are not a business owner, but you want to do your creative thing, but you're experiencing resistance, exactly what Nicole is talking about is going to work for you you know, or, or at least try it, right. Give it a try and see if it works, see if it works for you. Do an experiment. It can't hurt. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. (laughs) Oh man, this is very exciting. I love it. It's so in alignment with everything that I talk about. Mm -hmm. So beautiful. Wow. I'm glad. And, you know, I, I was talking to you earlier about the fact that I just gave a a keynote from uh, about your inner kiddo to your inner CEO um, in front of 300 women. And um, I gave them prep work to bring a picture of themselves like on their phone of different ages, maybe like, you know, toddler age, elementary, high school, and one picture of themselves where they felt the most powerful, whatever that was, whatever age. And we you know, went through this process where they were looking at their photo and they're saying, oh, my gosh, what? I'm so sorry I wasn't listening. What message do you have for me? What's going on? And just the transformation from just this, this wasn't even a workshop, just to see them look at their picture and say, I am so sorry I have not been listening to you. I've neglected our relationship. What can I do to help you feel safer in this big, amazing thing I'm trying to do here in my life? Um, And really tapping into that powerful inner CEO too, that's a kiddo wrangler. Like, you know, where does she show up to, you know, because that's in us too. All the answers are in here. Oh my God. That is so cool. What a powerful exercise. Yeah, it was, it was quite profound. And I felt very blessed to see they, um, their little pictures as they left that walked out of the room, they showed me their kiddos. So it was really cool. Um, and it, it resonated across the board. So there must be something to this, right? <laughs> oh, I bet. I bet they loved that. That's mm-hmm. fantastic. Well, we were just talking before I officially started our conversation for the podcast. We were talking about your experience ta- giving a, a presentation to a big group as, as opposed to 
a breakout session and how that's that's outside of your comfort zone and so have you been using any of your your techniques to get used to used to this new so glad you asked new experience (laughs) have you been experienced have your kiddos been talking to you so here's the thing my husband husband says nicole needs a podcast that's titled here's the thing (laughs) (laughs) some truth gonna come up after this so here's the thing don't agree to talk about your inner kiddos to a group of 300 women without asking their permission first, because they will torture you the week before this talk. So they did kind of, um, you know, a lot of resistance, a lot of anxiety, fear, you know, and, and so I kind of had to play catch up with them as opposed to asking their permission, which would have been great. Um, so yeah, I can't take that for granted. Um, it took a while to get them on board, but the very interesting thing that happened was, um, because of my learning disability and the processing um, issues I have, I really needed to have some note cards in front of me. And of course, you know, we all see people give talks and they're, you know, they're, they're not looking at their notes. They're just polished and, you know, looking at the stage. And I really require that to stay focused on track and to keep going. It's just something that I need right now. It may not always be that way, but for right now, I do need that. And so I, I stood on that stage and I told them, I said, I have a favor to ask of you. I said, I have a 10 year old who is very concerned. This is true. This is what was happening. She's very concerned that you are going to think that we're stupid and that we don't know what we're talking about because we're using notes on these note cards. And she really wants to know if it's okay with you all, if we use them. And she's the one that's really connected to that learning disability. She knows we need it and she understands why, but she's fearful that you will think less of me because I'm using these notes. So can we tell her it is okay for me to use these notes so she can, you know, go. And that was a true and honest moment to say, she's here. She's worried. Can we set her free so she can go play because she's very concerned about this. And so, yeah, I did. I did that from the stage in front of all these women because it was the honest truth of what was going on for me in that moment. And I thought, wow, this is a really good example to show them how they show up for us and how they inject fear and how that fear could have really derailed my talk that day as opposed to calling it out and saying, what do you need? Okay, you need to know that you need them to know why we're using note cards. Okay, let's go for it. Um, and it worked. It was fine. But that's just a really good example of how it works. Oh, my God. That is so beautiful. And it, what a perfect thing to incorporate in that speech. It could not have been more perfect. Yeah, it wasn't planned <laughs> at all. <laughs> it was real. So you did that moment, that moment you didn't even plan to do. Mm-mm. I I didn't know until I walked up there with those notes, what was going on. And I realized what was happening, that the overt fear I was having, that didn't seem normal to me, what it was about. And it became very clear to me in that moment. And that's why I called it out because I wanted to model it for them. But also <laughs> she needed to go play. I needed her off that stage. <laughs> but, you know, she's very stressed out and worried here. So um, it, it was one of those really beautiful synchronicities that happened to model, show, get relief, walk your talk, you know, all that. That's fantastic. God, I love that. Oh, you're such a hero of mine. I just love that so much. (laughs) Wow. Well, Nicole, 
did you bring something cool to share? I did. I did. And it is my new favorite gift to give to my clients because, you know, they all know who their kiddos are. They know how they work with them. They know how they work against them. They know how to recognize it. And so I was sending them all these adult books. Like I love Brene Brown. Like I just want to, you know, be a part of her life forever, you know, and I always send books to people that, um, I'm working with to kind of give them, these are my teachers, you know, learn from them too. I can't teach you everything. And so I found this book. I don't know if you'll be able to see it. It's called what to do with the problem. And it's a children's book. I love it. No, my podcast, my podcast listeners can't see it, but I can okay. see it. It's great. So it's called cover. what to do with the problem. It's written by Kobe Yamada. It's illustrated by May Besson. You, and it's a part of a series, but anyway, I brought this book because I work with their, I, their, we call them the peeps. So I'm like the peep whisperer. I know their kiddos. And so I've been sending them this book because in this book, it really talks about how our problem shows up. It feels very big and scary. You know, the, the way it's animated and, and illustrated is very dark and scary at the beginning. And towards the end, it lightens up and they learn that there's actually a beauty and a gift in the problem when you look at it differently. So it's a really beautiful child's book. And so I've been sending it to my clients because it's not just their adult self that's running their business. So, and I love it. So cool. And I will include a picture of the book in the show notes so people can see the cover when they click over to the show notes. Beautiful. What a cool gift to send your clients. I love that. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you for that. Well, my something cool this week is herbalism. (laughs) Herbalism. (laughs) I have been working with an herbalist. I worked with an herbalist. Actually, it's been a couple months now. I was, I, I get migraines and I have struggled with migraines for, oh my gosh, decades now. And I a few months back, I was getting daily migraines for a solid month daily. Now I have to say that they were not the kinds of migraines where you're throwing up and have to be in a dark room, you know, for 24 hours, thankfully, but still I was not very productive. It was really sucky. So I got pretty desperate and I knew that my doctor was not going to be very helpful because all they really can do is like drugs, you know, and I'm really tired of just getting drugs. So I finally reached out to actually a colleague of ours in co-commercial who is a master herbalist. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Her name is Lisa Akers. Mm -hmm. Know her. Yeah. And I had a, I don't remember the name of the, a, a launch pad session. I think it is called with her. And it was amazing. So what master herbalists do is they, they learn a lot about you. <laughs> and from that, and Lisa's pretty amazing because she also is an she's astronaut. A rocket scientist, so she right? literally is a rocket scientist. Yeah, she is. Literally. <laughs> I love that she calls it the launch pad. Yeah, How she's, cool I know, it's pretty cool. <laughs> she literally is, is a rocket scientist. So she combines her scientificness and herbalism, her understanding of plants and the body and everything. And so she was able to give me some suggestions, including some herbal supplements and vitamin supplements and things like that. And also some behavioral suggestions to interrupt this pattern, which she thought was a actually rebound 
that I was having rebound headaches to interrupt this rebound pattern. And it worked. And it, I, it hasn't eliminated my migraines. It's not that I don't ever get migraines anymore, but it interrupted the pattern so that I stopped getting these daily migraines. Daily migraines are a real problem if you are a speaker and, and a workshop facilitator, because if you get migraines, you can't do that. So anyway, herbalism is really amazing. And uh, Lisa Akers is also really amazing if you want to check her out. And I will put her the link to her website in the show notes. If you want to check her out, I highly, highly recommend her and just herbalism in general. So that's my something cool this week. That is cool. Yeah. Life-changing. So Nicole, where can people find you? So uh, they can find me on my website, which is nicole.lewis-keeper.com. Uh, there is a relationship assessment on there for you, for you and your business. I, I have really boring names for things. It's like business relationship assessment, I think is what it's called. But anyway, <laughs> that's pretty clear though. It's not confusing. <laughs> I know I can't help it. Um, I haven't hit that point of my brand yet. So, um, anyway, it's there on the, the front page and uh, it's a really nice assessment. Do you see what relationship you are having with your business right now? If you have one. Um, so you can find me there. I am on Facebook too at Nicole Lewis Keeper Coaching. Um, on Medium, I have articles there under again Nicole Lewis Keeper, and um, I'm on Instagram too a little bit. Awesome, wonderful. Yeah. Well, it's been so fun to get a chance to talk with you about your brilliant thinking and all of this juicy, juicy stuff. So thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. I love this. Great. Me too. That's it. That's a wrap. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Nicole Lewis Kieber. Let me know if you resonated and connect with me on LinkedIn or Instagram where I hang out. I'm at a underscore creative underscore life over on Instagram. And to dive deeper and meet other creative open-hearted, like-minded women from all over the world at every stage of the creative journey, join me in the Creative Sandbox community. Support, encourage, and learn from each other. Find inspiration every day in our online forum, which is not on Facebook. We are not feeding the Facebook monster. We are not getting distracted by the distractions of Facebook. We are on a private mobile-friendly network called Mighty Networks. So no worries about Facebook there. And your membership includes my flagship seven-day e-course, Creative Sandbox 101, which is the course that inspired my book, The Creative Sandbox Way. And as a member, you will get to participate in the live studio audience whenever I have podcast interviews like this one, which is pretty cool. And for a limited time, membership is half off at just $10 a month. And you can check it all out over at creativesandboxcommunity.com. That's creativesandboxcommunity.com. And I would love to welcome you inside. Also, if you want the live experience, join me at the next Creative Sandbox Play Day, which is a half-day co-working retreat to come together with other creatives to get stuff done on your creative projects, write, paint, knit, bead, draw, collage, you name it. And if you don't have a creative project, just come play with my art supplies because I always bring a ton. I bring a box filled with a whole bunch of different art supplies. The next Creative Sandbox Play Day 
takes place in Palo Alto, California. Sorry, it's on the West Coast. So if you're over on the East Coast or in the Midwest, sorry, you're going to have a big trip to get here. It's a little bit of a, of a commute for just a one-day thing. The next one is on Sunday, April 21st from 9.45 a.m. to 2.30 p.m. And it costs just 25 bucks. So cheap for such a rich experience. All experience levels are welcome. Just go to creativesandboxplayday.com to sign up. And if you are ready to spend five days with me, check out Creative Sandbox Retreat. At the time of this recording, I'm recording on Tuesday, February 26th, I am talking with the retreat center where I hold my retreats about scheduling a spring retreat, May 29th through June 2nd. This, yeah, 2019. So that may be happening. And if it is, there are spaces available. It will be really tiny, super intimate. Um, but there are, and there are also definitely some spaces available at the September retreat, September 11th through 15th. Both retreats are super intimate opportunities to really focus on your art, whatever that art might be, in the company of other open-hearted, generous, truly wonderful, playful, really fun human beings. I lead a creative catalyzing session every morning. We laugh a ton. We get so much creating done, and it is just really, really special. There's a bunch of info over at creativesandboxretreat.com, so check it out creativesandboxretreat.com. And if it feels like your jam and you'd love to hang with me for five days, I would love to have you. (sighs) And if you are getting value out of this podcast, share it with a friend. And I would be super appreciative if you would take a moment, hop on over to iTunes, the Apple Podcast Player, wherever you listen, and leave a rating and review. If you don't know how to do that, I have step-by-step instructions over at melissadinwitty.com slash iTunes dash review. And if you email me to let me know you left a review and how the podcast has made a difference in your own life, that's how you apply to be considered for the listener spotlight. You can get yourself right on the show, just like Nicole was, and we'll have a really fun, relaxed conversation and you'll get to be featured on the podcast. Super duper cool. That is it. So until next time, thanks again for joining me. And as always, go get creating. Subscribe at creative sandboxway.com slash podcast.